Church, I'm a curious type of fellow, so I have to ask you to participate with me. How many of you have taken personality tests? Okay, that is literally almost every single person. How many of you have taken, uh, let's say, uh, strengths finders? Okay, that's a lot. How many of you have taken Enneagram? All right, some of y'all are hesitating because you're hearing that it may have come from demonic origins, but we won't go through that right now. How many of y'all have taken a spiritual gifting test? There we go. Okay, so for those of you in the front, what you would have looked from my point of view is that almost everyone in here has gone through some type of personality test, and it is proof that there is something innate within each and every one of us to know what we were made for. The question of why are we here? We're in Genesis chapter 2. And it will cover the origins of humanity. And it will answer the questions that we all have had or still do have. Who, what, where, when, and why are we here? You ready to get into the text? Let's do it. I'm excited. Let's go. Genesis chapter 2, you're going to see some things that we haven't read through yet. Verse 4. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to the earth. There were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And the man became a living person. The first human was made from dirt. Do we really believe that? Like, at face value for me, I grew up in a non-Christian household. It seemed as silly to me as evolution's theory, which says that nothing created everything. Well, the other option from the biblical account is that we were literally made from dirt. Fun fact, I want us to be encouraged. Did you know that the basic 17 chemical elements that make up man also make up dirt? Carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and 14 other trace elements. The Bible is fascinating in that way. And it took scientists thousands of years to know that after Moses knew that, who wrote this. Here's another fun fact. The word humans... In the Latin language is humas, which means dirt. Even the language we use now points towards the biblical creation account. Mind-blowing. I don't know for you, but for a guy who grew up in the Bay Area, absolutely mind-blowing. And as was said last week, I want to repeat again. God is not afraid of any questions that we have He has biblically sound and very reasonable and intellectually stimulating answers for the origins and the purpose of life. You don't have to check your brains at the door. Okay, that was an aside. We're going to move forward. Look back at the text with me. God breathes into an inanimate object, and then it becomes alive. How? Well, God's breath carries life. Catch this, church. From the very beginning, God gave up his life so that we would get life. It was all a foreshadow. 
of Jesus eventually coming to give his life. It was a foreshadow of God's spirit being poured out on anyone who would turn away from sin. It was a foreshadow of God's willingness by his spirit to continually fill the Christian with life. Amen? And it points us to the intimacy that God has created for each one of us, between us and between him. How do we get this from the text? He breathes into the nostrils of dirt. How close would you have to be in order to receive breath from someone who was breathing into your nose? You would have to be super close. Like literally, your mouth would have to be on the nose of the other person. Think CPR. That's how close this imagery is. And that's the image that God wants us to take away from creation. He desires intimacy and closeness between us and him. We were made for it. It was literally, historically, the first account of CPR. And let's look back at the text to see more of what we were all made for. Verse 8. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is still the sixth day, and God has already placed man into a home. Let's continue to read on. Verse 10, it'll talk about Eden here, which means delight. A river flows through the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. The first branch is called Pishon. The second one is called Gihon. I'm fast forwarding us just a little bit. And the third is the Tigris. And the fourth branch is the Euphrates. And here's the thing. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden, which means delight, to tend and watch over it. The key thing from all the text, which by the way, we'll talk about where the garden of Eden most likely was after the Noah's flood, we'll talk about in the future. In this text, I want us to see we have man's purpose, to tend and watch over creation. We were made to steward God's stuff. Look back with me at verse four. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had, had not yet sent rain to the earth and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all of the land. Then, then, then the Lord God formed the man. Catch the sequence of, of creation there. God created the grain first. Then he creates man. And then he tells the man to go and work the field. Notice, God waited on man to do the work. What is significant here? Why do I even pause us to look at this? Because God has, can do anything. He did not need to even make us he was perfectly fine and content with him just existing. And yet still, he has designed us, humanity, for partnership with him. Partnership with his work. He waits until people rise up to cultivate the soil. How many times does God cultivate something, but he's waiting on us to actually do it? He wants to reach the lost. He's waiting for us to open our mouths. 
He wants to form God within our children. He's waiting for us to prioritize that. He wants to talk to us, but he's waiting for us to slow down. God is in partnership with us. He's made us for partnership, not just to take care of the earth, but the inhabitants therein. Let's jump back into the text. We're going through a lot of things about humanity, and we'll see that much more of what we were made for. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. This is the first time that God has made something and says that it is anything but good. Check it out. Third day, not the band. God creates land and saw that it was good. Fourth day, God creates the sun, moon, and the stars and saw that it was good. Day five, God creates animals, even cats, and saw that it was good. And now he creates man, and he says, it ain't good. Why? Because it is not good for man to be alone. Every husband should have shouted, amen. I'll give you another chance. Hold on, let me say it again, husbands. It is not good for the man to be alone. Some spirit-filled Christians up in here, Lord, help us. God knows this because he's had companionship from eternity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so, because it is not good for man to be alone, what does he do? He makes man a helper, not just a helper, but one that is just right for him, a helper suitable. Look with me. Verse 19, so the Lord God formed the ground. So we have the scene, right? And right now, Adam knows that God has said it is not good. So what's going to happen from here? Here's the next sequence of events. So then the Lord God from the ground, knowing that it wasn't good and he needs a companion, he ends up bringing all about these wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he could call them. And the man chose a name for each and every one of them. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. First off, for all of those testing groups that have promoted that the, commerc- the types of commercials that make men look stupid, let it be. Shown on record here that man named every original animal. You're welcome. That smells like intelligence. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's an interesting scene. God's bringing the man all the animals. And he's naming each and every one of them. The text says, but still, there was no helper just right for him. And it makes me think that the intent of why he was bringing all those animals to Adam to name so that Adam would know there's no companion in creation that has been created for him yet. But Adam doesn't know that yet. So he's going to go ahead and he's going to name all these animals. Essentially what we're reading is Adam is swiping left on all these groups of animals. (laughs) He is swiping left and saying, "Uh uh-uh, that ain't for me. Bless the Lord. I know it's a weird thought, but it is the line of thinking through Moses as he's writing this. And then God ends up bringing a helper suitable for man. 
among all the creation. Let's continue on. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed. And then he goes on a romantic soliloquy. Amen. We have the first, again, another first in history, the first surgery. The first surgery. And it is to provide a woman for man. And think about it. It's one of those things where you're just like, ooh, I'm so excited to share this with you. Think about it. What are surgeries for? Urgent care. Urgent need. God saw it. So much of an emergency that man needed a companion that he made woman. Amazing. God the provider. And woman was made from man's rib, his side. Again, another thing. Think about that. He could have made woman from his foot. He could have made woman from his head. But instead, he makes her from his side. God is trying to tell us something. That God was, that man, that woman was not to be better than man. And not to be worse off and lower than man. But woman is equal with man. In essence, in dignity, and in value. I don't care what the culture says a definition of a woman is. We already know where we lie there. But secondly, woman, you are equal in dignity, essence, and value with man. He could, just the context of that, so we gain a little bit of an appreciation. We're so used to hearing that. I don't know if you know that, but in churches, hopefully you've been around churches that say those things because they're biblically true. But the time, in the time that the Bible was written, historically, there was no other religious book that elevated woman to be equal with man. That is the heart of God. And here's another lesson as we move forward. The rib, for you women, is made to protect vital organs, specifically the heart and the lungs. Ladies, you were made to be the heart of your family. Don't shy away from it. You were made to be the lungs for your husband, to speak highly of your husband, to affirm your husband, to breathe air into your husband, to remind him, even though he knows that he's acting in his flesh, that you remind him of who he is in Christ. There is something beautiful about a woman, a bride, speaking what a man could be into his life in Christ that makes a man want to live up to it we were made for that ladies you were made for that and ladies if you are tired of being the helper for your husband and for your family I have some encouragement the Hebrew word used here to describe helper is ezer the Hebrew word ezer it's also used to describe God's help for his people we're going to go through real quick. There's, over, there's 20 times where Israel is screaming for God's help and the word Ezer is used. Here's a couple passages. Oh, Israel, trust in Yahweh. He is their help, their Ezram, and their shield. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in Yahweh. He is their help, their Ezram, and their shield. 
You who fear Yahweh, trust in Yahweh. He is their help, their Ezram, and their shield. And I'll go to the next one. You can just let this be heard since we don't have it on the screen. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help, my Ezri, come from? My help is sourced from God who made the heaven and the earth. Is that not cool? That the same word that is used to describe God's help of man is used to describe your help of your husband. It is not a JV thing that you've been called to. It's not even subservient. It is very God-honoring and God-like. Women, you were made to be your man's ally. Those were all war terms and people crying out for help. You were made to be in the foxhole of life with your boo. You were made to go through the highs, the lows, and the spiritual battles and take those on along with him. God wants to help your man through you. He wants to be help through you. And when the kids and when your husband do not praise you for those things and you feel like you are unnoticed, God the Father sees you. He knows every thought you have. He knows every action, the ways that you're serving your family, and he delights in you. Whatever you do, do it all unto the Lord, not for man. With your designed role, it is unto the Lord where he can give you delight not to be seen. Let's get back into the text to see something else that's interesting and only found in Genesis 2, verse 22. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. This is the first wedding day. It's a chapter of first, y'all. We see here the first wedding day. The text says, and he, meaning God, brought her to the man. It is God the Father walking his daughter down the aisle to the groom to be married. And check out how Adam ends up receiving his bride. At last, the man exclaimed, this is bone of my bone and flesh from my flesh. Fellows, you can hear the romance and the enthusiasm that's coming out of Adam, the first man. At last, he is so enthusiastic. And we have to ask, why? How can we get there? You got to remember, he's been told by God, it is not good for man to be alone. In other words, he is enthusiastic because he knows that he is not quite the man he would be if it were not for his bride. Fellows, our brides will enjoy being our helper suitable for us as much as we are grateful and show it. As much as we show care for our brides and let them know, one, by far is, I love who you have chosen to be in Christ. I love that you are abiding in his presence. Show appreciation for who she is and secondly, for what she does because she does a lot. A confession, one of the most consistent uh, points of contention within my marriage, fellas, trust me, I won't give you permission to say amen because none of you would say it anyways, being honest, (laughs) is that I don't show enough appreciation. My, and by the way, Danny is the most easygoing, agreeable person that I know. In other words, she is low maintenance. 
So what that points out to me is I just have a major heart issue. I've allowed familiarity to breed assumption. Being with my bride for 10 years makes me assume, I don't know if this is true for you men, that of course she just knows that I'm thankful. We're together, I say thanks when she does something, so that should be enough. And yet still, we can never, ever show too much gratitude, too much thankfulness. I think the root of each, if you share this problem with me, fellows, the root of it is we don't have and we forgot our wedding day perspective, just like Adam. That we forget just how different we would be and life would be without our brides. And I'm calling us to come to a place of thankfulness, gratitude, and to just say the words. Some of you come from backgrounds where it's weird. For me, it was. I'm having, I feel like I'm overdoing saying thank you and how much I'm grateful for my bride, but there's not too much. Not too much gratitude that can overflow, especially for specific things. Next, I want to finish this message by just talking to the singles. If you desire to be married, be patient. If you know the Holy Spirit, you have the fruit of patience. Ask him to increase that within you. You're in a world where there are many fish, but not many catches. Many fish, but not. The blessing of online dating is that you're exposed to so many more fish out there. So many more people who are interested in you. You know what the negative is? And in my opinion, this is opinion from Roy, the real negative is that there's too much exposure for singles whom y'all are dating right now of how much other people are interested in them. So in my opinion, again, it's formed an obsession through dating apps where the chase is more important than the commitment, where dating is more important than commitment. So give yourself grace. Never before have we been in such a predicament where there are as few godly catches out there as right now. In other words, you're dating in an age where singles are shallow and not committed, straight up. So give yourself grace. And that's even a temptation on the dating apps. God's wisdom, I think he's given through me this morning, is one, delight yourself in God. And he will give you the desires of your heart. He knows that you want to be married. He put that there. He knows that you're impatient when you compare yourself to your friend's story and how they're married. I met my bride when I was the most content in companionship with God. And when I met her, there was no striving. I didn't have to place myself at certain periods to be there to talk with her. It just happened. Number two, don't settle for marrying a person who doesn't love Jesus. Like the... the the key word, love Jesus. As, many, uh, as my, my, one of my favorite cousins says, it's more important to wait long than marry wrong. It's more important to wait long than marry. It's the second most important decision that you will make. The first one is, what will you do with Jesus? Is he Messiah or will you reject him as a total fraud? And there's another group that I want to address in finishing. God has gifted some of y'all to be seasonal singles 
with an extended period of time or lifelong singles. Hear this for me. You won't see it on the screen. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and he means these words. But I wish everyone were single and acknowledge uh, everyone single just as I am. Yet each person has a specific gift from God of one kind or another. So Paul writes this when he is single and acknowledges that some people are gifted with singleness. It may be for a short time, it may be like for Paul it was, and then eventually he got married, or for a longer period, life, long time. In this gift, you will agree with the sentiment and the attitude of Paul within the framework of his sentence. You're going to feel like, God, I want to leverage my life right now, and I'm content with using my singleness to serve you. My encouragement for those who are called into singleness is to leverage every part of your free time towards building relationships within the kingdom and advancing his kingdom. Uh, One of the most servant-hearted women that live here in the metro that I know of is a lifelong single. I asked her why. She's good-looking, went on dates throughout all of her 50s, and still remained single. And the reason she said that she remained single is because she never found someone who was as passionate for Jesus as she was. That doesn't have to be your story. I'm sharing it could be. And I know there's some hesitation. Some of you might be scared. I, I once had a desire to be married, and now I'm content being single. What does that mean? I talked with a friend of mine two years ago. And he had that exact same question. And I said, God will change your desires. You may ebb and flow between the two. In everything, though, find commitment in God. It's been two years since then, and that person got married. God gave him the desire again, and then he provided a bride for him. This morning, we drank through a fire hydrant of purposes and plans for humanity And I I want to remind us in everything that it is all about the creator. It's all about God. And the importance of talking through every detail of this chapter is because when we know our purpose, it gives us the opportunity corporately when we obey God's design for us, for God to be seen and known through us, especially in a culture That is that much more pushing away from the light and into the darkness. Let's pray, church. Jesus, I thank you so much for this word. Would it go out as you promised and not return void? As we go into communion, God, would you get that much more glory? Do your name. Help us purposely think throughout the day on what was said here in this message that we would mull over what you desire to say to us. Help us distill what you want from us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.